Let us pray. Silence in us any voice but yours, O God, and open us to your love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning. I love this Sunday at church, the first Sunday of Advent, the first day you come in and you smell and see the wreaths on the wall and the sights that Christmas is on the way. I'm sure that some of you spent the weekend getting ready for Christmas, putting up a tree, maybe listening to a Christmas list of a small child, what uh, they're hoping to see from Santa Claus on Christmas morning. And then just as you were starting to get into the Christmas spirit, just when you started to get excited about coming to church on Sunday and seeing these sights and smelling these smells and just as you walked in here, knowing that this week you've got your first set of Christmas parties with eating and drinking to do with good friends, you hear the scripture lesson for this morning about those who ate and drank in the days of Noah, and then the flood came and swept them away. Yeah, those of you who are long-term regular churchgoers know to expect this kind of thing on the first Sunday of Advent. On this day, just about every year, there's a strange passage like this one about the coming of the Son of Man, the sky darkening, warnings of things to come, and you know that you're going to have to live through two to three weeks of these texts before I ever talk to you about shepherds or wise men or Mary and Joseph and Jesus. To make matters worse, all these passages leading up to Christmas, they all seem to say something about keeping awake, as if you needed that reminder in the midst of all you need to get done between now and Christmas. I get it. I'm busy too. But give me about 15 minutes this morning. You're already here. You found a place to park. You came on inside. Give me 15 minutes to share with you a unique message that comes out of passages such as this one. While every other influence in our culture and in our lives is adding more things to your schedule these days, there is a different message at church today. It's your first Christmas gift. It is an invitation. It's the opportunity to take a beat at the beginning of this season and to look at everyday things that you are doing and to think about what is really important to you so that you don't waste your valuable time this Christmas season. The invitation comes in admittedly a strange form. It's not immediately obvious that this is what this reading is about. The message of the passage starts a few verses before Evan started reading, back in verse 29. It's a prediction of the coming of the Son of Man. That is cryptic New Testament talk, meaning that after the present sufferings of this world have gone away, 
A day is coming when God will do something to transform the world. The part that we read today then goes on to talk about things that you might have seen in movies or read about in books or on bumper stickers, people being taken up while others are left behind. If it sounds like the world is coming to an end, well, for the people who wrote this passage and who read it the first time, there's good reason to believe that that's what they hoped for. See, the Gospel of Matthew was written two or three generations after the life of Jesus toward the end of the first century. The Roman Empire had just sacked Jerusalem. And if you don't know much about that time, suffice it to say that Jerusalem would have been a horrible place to live, especially if you were Jewish like Matthew. Enough so that you probably would have prayed to God for God to come and take away the suffering and to do so by any means necessary. I know there are places in the world today that are still desperate and I am thankful that this congregation and many other good people are working for good in those places. But I think it's safe to say that such a worldview is quite detached from what most of us experience today. Most of us are not praying for the end of the world. But there's a thing that connects us to the original message of today's scripture. For most of us, we don't connect with the passage because of our longing for the future end of the world. No, we connect with what this passage says about the urgency of the presence, the importance of today. As one scholar notes, while this text may tilt toward a future mysterious day, it actually remains firmly put in an ordinary present. This passage is about the present. It's about today. And we can all agree that we'd like to make the best of today. The message this ha passage has for the present comes in the form of four illustrations all in a row, and each of them have the very same plot, a plot that gives us a message for today. First, the author of Matthew goes way back to the beginning of the Bible, and he remembers the story of Noah and the flood. Noah was a righteous man with his mind on the important things in life. So he heard God's voice saying, Noah, go and build an ark. That is the thing you should be doing. But everyone else was just going along, eating and drinking and marrying, it says. And then one day it started to rain. And Noah got into the ark and all of the folks who had not been paying attention, they were simply washed away. Matthew goes on to say, be careful, for the same thing could happen in these days. It could happen to men out in the field or to women working in a mill. Some of them are paying attention to the important things of life, but 
many others are just going through the motions, allowing life to pass them by. So some will be swept up in God's vision of what the future should be, and others will be left. And in case you missed the first three examples, the one about Noah, the one about the workers in the field, the one about the women in the mill, Matthew offers a fourth. God's plan is like a man who owns a house, who would have stayed awake and paid attention if only he knew that a robber was coming at some time in the night. But he did not pay attention, and so he lost all that he had. Four examples all right in a row, each of them reminding us of the very same thing. Pay attention to what is going on today. Don't just go through the motions of life. Think about what is most important to you. Make sure you're making good use of the day God has given you. Because far too often we are simply going through the motions. This is a broad, far-reaching message that may apply in any number of ways. It may mean a a variety of things, as many as there are people in this room. So I thought I'd give you at least a couple of examples of how it might work out for a couple of very different people. The first one is our amazing visiting scholar of a couple of weeks ago, A.J. Levine. While she was here, Dee Decker Huey was driving her around from one place to another, and they were telling some stories, and Dee at one point said to her, AJ, you have so many interesting stories about your life. Have you ever thought about writing a memoir? And AJ said immediately, no, no way. She dismissed the idea right away, and she knew exactly what her reason was. She told Dee that she became convinced some time ago that being a scholar and a teacher is what she was supposed to do. That's the thing I'm supposed to do, Dee, she said. And I do it well. Dee told us that story last week in a staff meeting, and I think most of us had the same reaction. Wow. Wow. To think that you could be that sure about your purpose and your focus, what a gift. That's one way of being attentive to what's most important to you. And I'll admit that upon hearing that story last week, I was somewhat jealous. Around the time that I was a student in AJ's classes back at Vanderbilt, I wanted that kind of focus. I wanted to be a great professor. But the more I thought about it in those days, and the more I think about it today, the more I realized that I too have a sense of what I'm supposed to do. It's just that mine is nothing like AJ's. You see, I love being a pastor because of the variety of it. Being in ministry, at least in a context like this one, means doing all kinds of different things. 
When I think of pastors I've looked up to, I see women and men who, sure, they could preach a good sermon, but they also had the gifts and skills to manage a staff. They otherwise could have been the leader of a small business. Good pastors have a heart for pastoral care, for visiting the sick and counseling people who are troubled. Pastors spend time in social justice ministries in their neighborhoods, and we meet with study groups and support ministries to children. We foster engagement of faith through art and music and literature. I love this calling because all of that variety is present. Every day I get the chance to do any number of things and to, remind, or to respond to new things that may come along. And I know that it is impossible for me to be as good at all of these things, or maybe any of them, as AJ is with her one thing. But my goal is different. I try to be pretty good at as many of those things as possible as often as I can. And I pray that if I'm doing that, God will grow me into the person God wants me to be, just like God is doing something quite different with AJ's life. I have all the respect in the world for what she does in her job, but at the end of the day, it is not appealing to me at all. Here's why I told you both of those stories. Because I am confident that in this community, rather than telling you what I think God is calling you to do, It's more important for me to put a good question in front of you and allow you to wrestle with it for yourself. What's God calling you to do with what you have before you each day? I don't believe that AJ's calling or mine is the answer for anyone else. But I do think that both of them and anything else that one might do Whatever we have to do, we can only do those things our best through the message of Advent. The idea that whatever you are doing, we all have to keep awake. We all must consistently re-examine our lives and our gifts and our craft and ask what God is calling us to do next or different or better with the gifts we've been given. This applies to working as a scholar or a minister, working in a field or in a mill, as a teacher or a parent or a lawyer. We all have the responsibility to examine whatever life we are living and the gifts God has given us and ask if we are using our gifts to the glory of God. The purpose of Advent is to give us time for this discernment. 
Advent tells us this is the time of year to check in and do a little self-examination as we get ready for Christ's arrival at Christmas. This is the time to ask if we are ready for God to show up in human form and ask how we are doing with the blessings we've been given. Finally, some Christians read passages like this one, see that one will be working in the field and another one will be left behind, and they think they're supposed to figure out how that's going to happen and when and which one they are. Don't be troubled by that. Don't be troubled by that because it's contrary to the very first line in the passage. It says, about that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. No one knows the answers to those questions. It says, not the Son, not even Jesus. Only God. So don't worry about the when or the how of God's plan. What we are to attend to, every one of us, me and you, is to be sure that whether we are in the field or the mill, the classroom, the home, or the office, wherever we are today and in the days to come, that we are not simply letting life pass us by. That we all have times in our lives when we step back and ask if we are making the best use that we should with the gifts God has given us, ready to find out that God may have something different in mind. In that way, we are being attentive to the claim on our lives made by the God who created us and who is coming to save us.